Namaskaram. Uh, hi, Michael, Ernesto, Jose. Uh, today we have a question that says like this. We think that happiness lies in objects, and because of that belief, we constantly allow ourselves to be swayed by our vasanas, <laughs> which are basically tendencies that result in efforts in the form of actions to maximize happiness and minimize suffering in our life. How can we be firmly convinced that this is not so, while at the same time we are still perceiving ourselves as a body? Do we inevitably have to live in this duality of conviction on a mental level, that there is no happiness outside, while on an experiential level, we still believe we see happiness out there? Um, to a certain extent, we can convince ourselves by thinking about Bhagavan's teachings, recognizing the truth in, what, in Bhagavan's teachings. But that's only to a certain extent. The real clarity that is required can come only from within. So it's only to the extent to which we look within, but we will begin to see more and more clearly that there is no happiness in the things of the world and that happiness lies only within. So there is, there is no substitute for practice. Yes, shravana is necessary. We need to pay close attention to what Bhagavan has taught us. Manana is necessary. We need to think about it. We need to make sense of it. We need to uh, we need to recognize. We 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 need to think about it until we see why Bhagavan said that. We so we, at the mental level we do need to think about these things uh, deeply, but the shravana manana can help us only to a certain extent. The real clarity can come only from the extent to which we turn our attention within. So they, they, sravana and manana are intended to uh, support us in our nidityasana. They are not a substitute for nidityasana. So the, the, the conviction at the mental level, obviously it's inadequate, because still our mind will continue going outwards, because the conviction at the mental level is still conceptual. Yes, we, we understand conceptually, but there's no happiness outside uh, ourselves. But in practice, deep down, why the vasanas are still there? Because why are we, vasanas are inclinations. Why are we still inclined to seek happiness outside ourselves? Because deep down, we still believe that happiness is, is, uh, lies in external things. So the only way is to practice more and more and more. Shravana Manana, they're great, they're, they're, they're the most powerful aids to uh, the practice is the Shravana Manana, but they are only aids, no more than aids. And if we do the Shravana, um, either the Shravana or the Manana correctly, that should itself push us to do uh, Nidityasana. When we read Bhagavan's words, what is Bhagavan? What are all of Bhagavan's words talking about? They're all all of Bhagavan's words. The ultimate aim of all of Bhagavan's words is to point our attention back to ourselves. So if we understand what we're talking, what he's talking about, by merely reading his words, it should draw our attention back to ourselves. And even more so with Manana. With Manana, we're trying to make sense of what he said. We're trying to assimilate it. To assimilate it means we need to think deeply about what he's saying. We cannot think deeply about what he's saying without attending to ourselves. So the manana and the dityasana both direct, uh, each are, is directly connected with this nidityasana. If we are not turning our attention within, then we are not doing either the sravana or the manana correctly. We're still floating on the surface. So our sravana manana becomes deep to the extent to which we're actually putting it into practice. And the more we put it into practice, the more depth of meaning and clarity we will see in Bhagavan's words. You said the, the, the most strong conviction that only provides for the mind is like a... a uh, waving of the tree, no? the, the la hoja, ¿cómo se dice la hoja de un árbol? The leaf of the tree. It's like the leaf yeah. in the yes. tree, no? 
for more strong that appears, no, the conviction of idea in a person that if not comes from what we really are, this uh, conviction that you, because you read the uh, sastras, uh, the Bhagavan's teaching, and you understand very, you, you understand very clear at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. We we shouldn't we shouldn't um, we we shouldn't underestimate the value of Sarvana Manala. They are both extremely valuable, but they are valuable as aids to the practice. They, um, so to the extent to which our Sravana and Manana pushes us towards the practice, to that extent is it beneficial. If we merely read without putting it into practice, there's very, very little benefit on that. If we merely philosophize about these things without putting it into practice, it's not the best, absolutely no benefit, but the benefit is extremely limited. The true benefit of sravana and manana is derived from the extent to which they push us towards the nidityasana, the practice, turning our attention back within. And also not, not being clear as to how uh, external happiness leads to suffering also in the end. Yeah, because we think we can avoid one thing or partially or to some extent but uh, really even when you're going to get happiness you're going after that in some way or another you're going, you're going to suffer yeah. by losing it or by uh, by the same by repeating it one i don't know time after time and say in the end you will get bored of it or in whatever form bhagavan used to say that Guru's grace is working both from inside and outside. Inside, it's pulling the mind within. Outside, it's pushing the mind within. How does it push the mind within? Because when we come out, we suffer. We, we face so many blows. And so we are the, 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 the more we turn within, the more looking outwards will encourage us to go back within, because outside it's only misery. It's only even the, what we consider to be the joys of life, the pleasures of life, they are actually misery because they're all agitation of mind. But little iotas of happiness we seem to experience when we uh, when we achieve the things we want. There's no actual happiness in these things. They just seem to, to be happy because when, when we achieve what we want, the agitation of the mind that was caused by that desire is temporarily pacified. And so a little bit of a happiness that's within ourselves is experienced. But the more we look within and begin to taste, the, the, the infinite happiness that is our own real nature, the more we will recognize that going outwards is misery. Yes, in the example that Sadhuam says with, about the ladus, about eating ladus one after the other in the end, even if it's so sweet, it's such a delicacy, but in the end it will uh, harm your stomach and your your body yeah yeah exactly so, exactly I mean, even if something then mm -hmm. yeah. there are there are three sentences in uh nana but we should read together um in the fourth paragraph bhagavan says manam atma tinindru velipadum podu jagam tondram that is, when the mind comes out from Atmasarupa, from our own real nature, the world appears. And then in the 14th paragraph, he says, um, towards the end, he says, Jagamembadu uh, Nineve, the world is only, uh, what is called the world is only thought. Um, oh, okay, no, the very last sentence. Jagam Tondrum Podu. Adu, Adu is referring to the mind that uh, experiences misery. And then earlier in the 14th paragraph, he says, 
um, at the beginning he says, what is called happiness is only the, the sarupa of Atma, in other words, the real nature of oneself. Sukha and Atma Sarupa are not different. Happiness and our real nature are not different. Atma Sukham Andre Uludu, the happiness that is ourself alone exists. Aduve Satyam, that alone is real. Papanja Porul Andre Lavdu Sukhamembadu Kediadu. In all the, in, 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 there is not the least happiness to be attained in even in even in, in any one of the objects of the world. Abegalilirundu sukum kedepadaha nam namadu abibekatal ninikarom. We think that happiness is to be obtained from them because of our abibeka, our lack of uh, of. Um, of, of 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 judgment, our lack of clear clear discernment, and then this is the other sentence I wanted to say: Manam velil varupodu dukate anu babe kindredu. So in the that that means when the mind comes out, it experiences happiness. So in the fourth paragraph, he said, when the mind comes out from atmasarupa, the world appears. In the last paragraph of this, in the last sentence of this 14th paragraph, he says, when the world appears, it experiences, the mind experiences misery. And he combines the two together in this sentence, when the mind comes out, it experiences misery. These are words we need to think about, and we not only just to understand the concept, we need to recognize the truth of this in our own experience. The mind coming outward, the mind attending to anything other than ourself, is misery, according to Bhagavan. Dukkham, Dukkham means, um, means uh, dissatisfaction, misery, suffering, or whatever. That is, the, the very reason why the mind comes out is because we are seeking happiness in things other than ourselves. But we're always going to be dissatisfied. But because when we rise as ego, we seem to be lacking the infinite happiness that we actually are. Since the happiness seems to be lacking in ourselves, we look for that happiness outside ourselves. But if 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 happiness is lacking in me, then it must be I must be somewhere outside myself. I can find it. So we continually look for that happiness outside ourselves. But the truth is that happiness doesn't lie outside ourselves. It lies inside ourselves. The reason it seems not to be we the reason we seem to be lacking happiness is precisely because we're not looking within. So looking outwards is misery. If we want to experience true happiness, the only way is to look within more and more and more and more. Yes, because the, the condition of this body is so limited. And <laughs> yes, it, yes. It, we yes. can be, I mean, we can be happy even for uh, temporarily happy for, uh, I don't know, for some minutes or some, yeah. I don't know, some hours, but then we will we'll need to do something to feed the body. Yeah, yeah. We'll need to, or we'll have a yeah. headache, or we, and even the body in the normal condition is giving us so much trouble. Lots it needs trouble, feeding, right? it needs water, it needs, uh, exactly. it gets tired, it needs sleep, all these things. Constantly it's making demands on us. That's mm -hmm. in its normal condition. Mm -hmm. But you just All need a small accident, and you can be you can be um, you can be seriously injured, or you just need a doctor to tell you to diagnose you've got terminal cancer or something, and all but you all your hopes and ambitions will will crumble down. So right. the body is such a, a fleeting, ephemeral, and insubstantial, unreliable thing, but we rely on this body as the as the, the channel through which we're going to achieve all these things that we think are going to make us happy. Right, but when you when you finally get it in a little time when you experience happiness, then the body is okay, isn't it? So yeah. you, you, the body doesn't give you problems when you 
accomplish the desired object for a short time. Then, for a short time. But, but another thing about desire, but Bhagavan pointed out, the nature of desire is it will make it will it it will make an atom seem like Mount Meru before you achieve it. If you're very very poor and you want to have a hundred dollars. $100 will seem the height of achievement. If I can get $100, then I'll be happy. But once you actually get that $100, it's nothing. It, it doesn't, won't satisfy you. So, no, it's not, $100 is not enough. I need $1,000. And then you get $1,000? No, that's also not enough. And so on and so on and so forth. Even when you've got $100 billion, I'll be very, now in this world, people who actually have more than $100 billion, but are they satisfied? No, they still want more. <laughs> yes. So the nature, of, the nature of desire, before you achieve something, it will make even a trivial thing seem very great. And when you achieve it, even the greatest thing will appear very tri trivial. Yeah. Because nothing can satisfy us. Our real nature is infinite happiness. And so nothing finite can uh, nothing finite can give us infinite happiness, and nothing less than infinite happiness will satisfy us. That's why Bhagavan said, when your mind comes out, it experiences misery, constant dissatisfaction. Yes, even the fact of having some temporary happiness and then having. And happiness, that's dissatisfaction because it's 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 a struggle, it's a constant struggle. Yeah. Even the temporary happiness, it's 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 only a partial happiness. We never experience this finite mind cannot experience infinite happiness. It cannot experience happiness that is greater than itself. So when we, by rising as ego, we impose limitations upon ourselves, and thereby we prevent ourselves experiencing the infinite happiness that we actually are. So eradication of ego is the only means by which we can experience the infinite happiness that we actually are. We need to, uh, we need to divest ourselves of all our limitations. Then only can we know and be the infinite happiness that we actually are. Can I ask you, Michael, one thing uh, on a linguistic level? Yes. About uh, the first paragraph of Nanya? Yes, certainly. Uh, well, it's uh, it's about the first sentence uh, uh, where he says, uh, give me a second, I want to paraphrase. Uh, but it's in the third, in the third, uh, uh, also clause where he says yes. and since happiness along is the cause for love you yes. i remember you translated that first years ago as the cause of love yes and um, now you change the preposition uh in, for english, love. in english it doesn't make much difference whether you say cause of something or cause for something okay. it, it, it amounts to the same thing in english but mm -hmm. clause uh, four is is closer to the Tamil. The Tamil is the the, the noun is priya uh, tiku. Mm -hmm. That that is the dative uh, dative case form of a mm -hmm. priya. Priya means happiness, mm -hmm. so it means two happiness or four happiness. It's the cause two happiness. We we don't say the cause to something. We say the cause mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. So the cause for happiness is a little bit, it's, it's a bit closer to the way it's expressed in Tamil. But I don't think in English, actually, um, I, as far as I'm aware, I, I cannot see any difference between saying cause for and cause of. Mm -hmm. it, it's just two alternative ways of saying it in English. I, I don't know in Spanish yeah. whether it makes any difference. Uh, well, actually, we will only use or off the oh. cause of. Yeah. yeah usually. Okay. So mm -hmm. we've, we've looked it up, and th there's, yeah, it's true. There's no, not much difference. Yes. It's yes. Very, very subtle in any case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hey, Michael, I have a question. 
Yes. Um, I'm regarding Vasanas and Karma Vasanas. Yes. Um, when we as ego brag about a certain action, mm. like I have accomplished this many things or the things that I did that I think are cool, those things are not actually Vishayas because, I mean, they are seeking Vishayas in a way, but the pleasure, the, the mental pleasure that I get from saying or feeling the doer of certain things, for instance, like say, imagine that I managed to rescue a company from bankruptcy because I did some certain actions that I took in the company. Those are not actually Vishayas, but just the simple pleasure that I take out of me thinking that I even did that, that. Even that is a Vishaya. Vishaya means that, object or phenomena. So anything, any, any, anything that you experience is a Vishaya. So you, you include Vishaya in, in the Vishaya Vasanas, Karma Vasanas are included? Taste for action is that included in it? Truly speaking, karma vasanas and vishaya vasanas are one and the same thing. Because okay. it, why do we do karma vasana means the inclination to action, to do. Vishaya vasana means the inclination towards vishayas. Why do we do any action? It's in order to experience something. That is, we do action in order to experience things that we think will make us happy. So, um, we, if you want to think of Vishaya Vasanas and Karma Vasanas as two things, you can say the driving force behind every Karma Vasana is a Vishaya Vasana. But it's simpler just to say they are one and the same thing. That is our 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 inclination, our liking to experience certain vishayas is what uh, inclines us to do certain actions. So, so I, for instance, I have an inclination to drink, eat chocolate, to, to enjoy the taste of chocolate. That inclination to enjoy the taste of chocolate gives me an inclination to like to eat chocolate because I can't enjoy the taste of chocolate without eating it. But, so you can either take them to be two, two sides of the same coin or two very closely related vasanas, but simply is just to say they're one and the same thing. Right. But in, in the case of the chocolate, then I understand there's an action which is a means to an end and it's yes. chocolate and the action is a means. Yes. Uh, when I refer to this type of mental pleasure that um, I, we can get from saying I did this, the means is the action, the ends is also the action. The, yeah, the, 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 achieve, the achievement, it. when you've done something, if, you, if you've saved a company from bankruptcy, that is an yeah. achievement. That yeah. achievement is a vishaya. That becomes a Vishaya. So you don't because, distinguish... Because Vishaya doesn't mean only concrete objects. Correct. Vishaya means any, any type of phenomenon. Correct, correct. So, you so don't an achievement is a phenomenon. I have, said, I, I have saved a company from bankruptcy. That is an achievement. That is a, a, a phenomenon. That is something other than ourselves. Correct. Now, you don't distinguish between those from more solid, uh, the, the this type of vishaya from vishayas as in things that we perceive through our senses. No, they're all different types. There are many different the types of vishaya, types of many vishaya. different types of... Philosophers can distinguish all these things. They can, they, they can think of categories for different types of things, but that's no concern of ours. As Bhagavan says, this is like if we try and investigate how many different types of vishayas there are, this is like Bhagavan says, it's, it's like analyzing the, the hair in the barber shop. It's all to be swept up and discarded. All vishayas 
of whatever kind they may be, are all things other than ourselves. So we need not analyze and enumerate them and right. classify so, them. Correct. Yeah. Anything now, the other than ourselves is a vishaya. Yeah. And that's all anatma. It's all anatma, exactly. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so anatma and vishaya are two uh, interchangeable terms. They're synonymous. So we just have to discard all that is anatma yeah, anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only anatma that is not a vishaya is ego, because ego is not ourself. It's not what we actually are. But it's also not an object. It's the subject. Right. So I, I want to. Um, OK, so. It's it seems like this. I'm going to go ahead and classify. It. I know Bagman told me not to. It's yeah. all that we were just going to throw this to to ditch this entire thing yeah. later. But um, it seems like those achievements, at least in my experience, it's it's just like a huge mental pressure that I get from them. It's basically, it's 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 just it's just a lot of pressure it goes from saying I did this or I did that, and I know it's wrong. Um, that has to be way transcended, but um, transcended uh, away, but it seems like this when you talk about Vishayas, those that are from the senses, in my experience, those are easier than those that come from pure action. It seems subtler or um, like to surrender the doership toward things. That is, I think, the most difficult thing for me. Um, and I will read a short ex, um, excerpt from Viveka Chudamani, and then I want your, your thoughts on that. Okay. Um, so in 145 of Viveka Chudamani, the Sloka, Sloka, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, he says, of the tree of samsara, ignorance is the seed. The identification with the body is its sprout, attachment, its tender leaves, work, its water, the body, its trunk, the vital forces, its branches, the organs, its twig, the sense objects, its flowers, various miseries due to diverse works are its fruits in the individual souls, jiva, is the bird sitting on top of it. So like, me the ego i'm sitting right on top of the entire tree eating or depending on all of these um anatma things um but in in the sense that um the last line that caught my attention was that the diverse works are its fruits meaning that my the diverse uh, actions, the diverse karmas are the fruit of actions, are the feet, the food that feeds the ego. And that looks a lot like me right now. So I want your thoughts on that. And in the end, I know that we all have to turn within and renounce all of this. But can you please provide your thoughts um, on this? Okay. This is a nice poetic description. But if we analyze it deeply, um, the jiva is the bird. The jiva is also the ignorance. The jiva is also the false identification. Because e ego, ego is the bird in the sense that it is the experiencer. But, but, but what makes us the experiencer is the ignorance. And the ignorance and the identification are inseparable because what is, in what form does ignorance rise? It rises in the form, I am this body. There's no ignorance other than that false awareness, I am this body. So the identification and the, in many scriptures, they, they distinguish between the, um, between ignorance and there's uh, wrong knowledge. But according to Bhagavan, they're one and the same thing. So all of these, according to Bhagavan, are ego.
In fact, Bhagavan says in verse 24 of Uladunapatu, the whole tree of samsara is nothing but ego. That's why he says, when he, when he, when he after describing the nature of ego, that it's neither the body, which is jada, nor is it such it, which doesn't rise, but it's something that rises in between as the extent of a body. It's an eye that rises in between. Since it's an eye, it's not the body, because the body is not aware of itself as I. Since it rises, it's not such it. So it's neither this nor that, but it borrows the properties of both. Then he goes on to say, this is chit jada granti, the not for, of, the, the entanglement, the not formed by the entanglement of chit and jada. Uh, bandham is bondage. Because when we rise as ego and attach ourselves to a body, that is, we are binding ourselves. We are bond That's bondage. It's bondage. It's um, uh, jivan. That is the jiva. It is uh, nupame, the subtle body. That that we shouldn't confuse this subtle body as it's used in some contexts. It's because the same term subtle body is used in different senses in different um in different uh contexts but uh the subtle body in the sense of that which is born again and again and again um which is nothing but ego and then he says it is ego ahande then he says ichamsaram it is this samsara in other words bhagavan is saying the whole tree of samsara is nothing but this bird nothing but the jiva, and that it's also mind. Mind in the no. sense of mind as the, not the mind as the object, not the mind as all the other thoughts, but the mind as the subject, the first thought I. The doer. Yeah, so as, as Bhagavan says in verse 26, yavamam, ego itself is everything. So the whole tree of samsara is nothing but an expansion of ego. So ego is the root, it's the, it's the, it's the stem, it's the, the leaves, the branches, everything. It's all Flowers. The whole of this, all samsara exists in whose view? Only in the view of ego. So no element of samsara has any existence outside of ego's experience. So since it's all experienced by ego, it has it. It has no existence independent of ego. So ultimately, the whole of samsara is nothing but ego. But we need to understand clearly that isn't saying that we shouldn't say, okay, then I can attend to anything and I'm attending to ego. No, we need to distinguish the subject from the object, but the objects are nothing but the subject. They're nothing but an expansion of the subject. Now, all of the, all of these things, karma, vishayas, etc., everything that is anatma, all of this interest is, in a way, the energy that draws us away from atma. Yeah. So ego, take, draw the ego being uh, our interest in other things, to even put, in this to put it To put it simply, ego is maya. There is no Maya other than ego. Ego, in the form of the basic ignorance, the false identification, I am this body, that is the Avarana Shakti, that is the veiling power. And as soon as the veiling takes place, ego projects all of this. That is the big shape. So ego being aware of itself, or us being aware of ourselves as I am this body, that is Avarana. Being aware of anything other than ourself is big shaper. So there's no Maya other than ego. But there has to be an interest in Maya to like the my the will very nature a... of ego is to be interested in things <laughs> other than itself. <laughs> exactly. Which are its own creation. Right. So so we just need to yeah. lower that interest in yeah. an atma. Yeah. Bhagavan has simplified things so much. If you read the, the old scripture, there are so many different classifications, like this verse of Vivekananda, that's a very poetic description. 
But if we think deeply about it in the light of Bhagavan's teachings, it's uh, it ultimately is just it's it, the, the though it's a nice description. When we go into it deeper, it's actually a bit of a um, such poetic descriptions can be a bit of a distraction. We then right. think there are many problems to be dealt with. There's ignorance and there's identification and there's enjoyment yeah. and doership, all these different problems. But all that's the genius of Bhagavan's teaching. He said all these things, avidya, maya, um, uh, abhimana, everything, it's nothing but ego. Yeah. I feel like the deeper ego. you, yes, yeah, sorry, the deeper you go. I'm sorry. The, the deeper you go, the simpler it gets. Exactly, exactly. That's why Sadhuwan explains it extremely simply. Um, yes. In chapter three of Thousand Three Ramana, he explains there are the three, there are three type of persons: the, the third person, the second person, first person. Yes. Just just go away from the th yes. third and the second towards the reality of the yes. first person, that's the entire practice. Yes, but in this context, person, that, I mean, that is grammatical. That's a, it's a grammatical person. It's not talking yeah. about people. It's talking yeah, about, exactly. a, so the first person is ego, the subject. Second and third persons are all the vishayas, the objects. Yeah, and in, and in which uh, second person is that which I have in front? Yeah, but what is most immediately presented to us. Yeah, most immediately, and then third person is the periphery. Yeah, yeah. The first person is yeah. from yeah. which I speak from. Yeah. Well, away from the third and the second, back into the first. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and it's very clear. <laughs> and it's yeah. very simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Include, we, we can say, uh, for example, no, with this analogy of Sankaracharya, about the gold and uh, the forms of gold, no, the ring uh, or, or the yeah. other forms. Uh, uh, usually, explain that the, the the essence is gold, and all the forms of the gold, the ring or others, mm. are uh, from the point of view that we are speaking now. No, yeah, include include the the gold is ego. Yes, the, that is the ultimate substance of everything is Brahman. The immediate yeah. substance of everything is ego. As Bhagavan says in verse 26, it, it, uh, ego itself is everything. That is, all objects, all phenomena are nothing but uh, mental impressions. The mental impressions are, are nothing but who experiences all these mental impressions? It is ego. So it no, is no, ego no, itself no. that appears as all these objects. So ego is the is the immediate substance. But if ego turns its attention away from the objects, back towards itself, to see who am I, it will find itself to be Brahman. So the ultimate substance, that is all objects, are nothing but the subject. The subject, if it investigates itself, is nothing but Brahman. I say because uh, some people no, ask you, if you are seeing the forms, the Nama Rupa, no? mm. uh, uh, this Nama Rupa is not what you really are, you are the substance. No? But if yeah. you are seeing that, and when some, someone asks you from this point of view that you are seeing, for example, a mountain, no? Yes. Uh, uh, the mountain is not uh, vast, no? it is not yeah, uh, the substance. The, the substance. Uh, but if the seer is there, yeah. the, the substance is not what are down yes. uh, in from uh, behind the, the mountain, no? Yes. But, but the subject, the ego, though it is not a name and form, it always identifies itself with a name and form. Without identifying ourselves as a name and form, we can't be aware of other names and forms. As Bhagavan says in verse 4 of Uludunapadu, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is not a form, who can see their forms and how? So forms appear only when we rise as ego and take ourselves to be a form. 
as in a dream. In a dream, we uh, yes, in a dream, dream ourselves to be our form. As soon we as find... we start dreaming, we're a person in that dream. We're a body in that dream. Yeah, and, and no, no one would. I mean, everybody would agree that if we tried to look for happiness in a dream, we have a night. We wouldn't find anything because we're going to wake up sometime. We're going to die, or that body is going to. But we, happiness, but we experience the illusion of um, of happiness in a dream. If yes. we win the lottery, we'll be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> but it will, of course, the happiness will evaporate once we wake up. Like say, <laughs> anything we achieve in a dream, if it's something we desire, it will seem to give us pleasure. Mm -hmm. But and so, as insubstantial as the pleasures we experience in dream are, the pleasures we experience in this waking state. When this dream comes to an end at death then all our achievements, all our great, whatever type of achievements we may have achieved in this life, all mm -hmm. ends just... That's what Bhagavan says in, in Uludunapadu. Um, there's a the verse where he talks about Siddhi. He says, um, that's verse... Um, uh, verse 35 of Uludunapadu. The word Siddhi in this context, the, the basic meaning of Siddhi is accomplishment. Generally, when people talk about Siddhis, they're talking about the eight of the Ashtama Siddhis, the, the six great achievements, accomplishments. That's the, the different types of uh, occult power or something. But we can read this verse as referring to those Siddhis or to any type of accomplishment. And what he says is, in this verse is, being, knowing the substance which exists as accomplished, is accomplishment. That is, the only real accomplishment is to, is to know what we actually are, the substance that we actually are, and thereby to be that. That is the only real accomplishment, or only real Siddhi. All other accomplishments or Siddhis are just accomplishments achieved in a dream. So whatever we may achieve in a dream, we may we, sometimes in dream we're able to fly. That's a, that's a city. That's a, a or, but or it's not only referring to such accomplishments. In the in a dream we may earn a lot of money, or we may um, whatever we may desire. We we we, we may if we uh, by chance happen to experience that in a dream. But whatever it is. It, it's of no value because if we wake up leaving sleep, are they real? As he goes on to say, so anything we achieve in this life, or in any life, in any dream, is it, anything we achieve in this life is no more real than anything we achieve in a dream. They are they are not real. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if we know, if we remain in our real state. We will not be deluded by all the, by these uh, unreal achievements. We see, that's how we, we see in the world. We see people who've achieved so many things: people who've achieved money, people who've achieved learning, people who've achieved um, fame, name, fame, political power, uh, uh, or people who've achieved just a happy family life, or this or that. People think they've achieved so many things. I mean, everyone will feel they've achieved something or other, but all, whatever we may have achieved, however trivial an achievement it may be, or however seemingly great an achievement may be, it's all trivial because it's all, all is no more real than whatever we may achieve in a dream. That, that's how it gets its seeming real, reality um, through attending to and enjoying this thing, because that's. I'm the doer. I accomplished this. I did that. I like this. I like that. I have this personality. Others have this other personality. That's that's how he builds up. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. His false existence. So yeah, we we delude ourselves, but whatever we have achieved, in our view, is a real achievement. No achievement yeah. is a real achievement. The only right, real right. achievement is to know and to be what we actually are, as Bhagavan says in that verse. Mm -hmm.
all other but, achievements are just are, are just achievements in a dream. They're, they're completely unreal, insubstantial, fleeting. But if also if the the standard of reality for us is the the fact that we experience things, not only sense perceptions, but also happiness or apparently apparent happiness or something. Uh, then we have to say that uh, I don't know. I mean, rashes can be true also because yeah. if or or dreams because if that's uh, yeah yeah if if, if you can feel anything if something anything yeah that that's the weakest standard of reality to say but what you experience is real then the, the as you say the dream is real the, the mirage is real the illusory snake is real mm -hmm. obviously just because you experience something doesn't mean it's real mm -hmm. we need a deeper we need a deeper understanding of what is real what is mm -hmm. real means what actually exists as opposed to what merely seems to exist mm -hmm. and what actually exists must always exist anything but as Bhagavan said, anything that seems to exist at one time and not at another time doesn't actually exist even when it seems to exist. Hmm. Michael, uh, the more we, the deeper we go, the simpler it gets in the, uh, the structural yes. level. Yes. Um, <clears throat> it also, uh, the simpler it gets at the structural, instruction level, the more um, responsibility is laid upon us in the projection this whole thing yes am yes, i yes. am i correct yeah 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 we we do this yeah yeah we 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 are entirely responsible for all of this yeah. when we don't rise as ego in sleep there is no body no world nothing as soon as we rise as ego whether in this state or in any other dream there seems to be a body there seems to be a world and there seems to be all types of uh, joys and sorrows, beauty and ugliness, all these pairs of opposite, they all exist only in the view of ego. So all we have to do is to refrain from rising as ego and all problems are solved. We, we do this through means of will. Yes. We want to do it. We want to, yes. Will, will is the driving force behind everything. Will is the driving force behind creation. Will is the driving force behind destruction. The will to experience anything other than ourself drives creation. The will to experience ourself alone and nothing else brings about the ultimate destruction. So as Bhagavan often said, bhakti is the mother of jnana. We can't get away from the importance of the will. All that we are experiencing now is a result of our will. If we want to, if we want to experience infinite happiness, we must want that to be exclusion of all else. When we want it to be exclusion of all else, it is ours. So that which is called surrender is termination of will. Termination of ego's will, that is the will to go outwards. But in order to terminate that will, we need the greater will, the supreme will, the bhakti, a love just to be as we actually are. That is God's will. That is surrendering our, our will to God's will. God's will is, God wants us to be happy. happy and God knows that happiness lies only in being, not in rising. So subsiding back within, turning within and therefore subsiding back in the source, that is surrendering our will to the will of God. Right. That is making Terminate. his will our will. That, that which is, starts as termination of will eventually leads into termination of ego. Yes, yes. Ego and its will are inseparable. Inseparable, yeah. It's Whenever like it, we rise it, as ego, we have a will, we have vasanas, we have likes, dislikes, and so on. It's the very nature of ego. Right. That is like why, killing. of all the five sheaths, what is the, the deepest and the most intimate sheath is the will, the vasanas. 
it's like a spider, like killing a spider by cutting all its legs. And but then if you do that, you also kill the spider. Yeah. And so the, the legs are the bassinets, and the yeah. center of the spider is just the ego. Yes, yes. Or you can keep yeah, the spider alive. Another analogy I, I use is, is a dense bush. If you've got a dense bush, you want if you want to root it out, you first need to cut the, uh, the, the branches to a great extent in order to get at the root. So the branches are like the vasanas. We need to we need to reduce the vasanas to a considerable extent in order to be able to cut up a root. The root is ego. The branches are oh, it's vasanas. Right. But in the spider analogy, I'm the spider, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting off my I'm cutting off my own legs, and then when I cut one or two, I still have six left because it's yeah. eight. So I can still walk. I can surrender these two, but surrender more legs. I'm coming to the realization. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going yes. to go with, <laughs> yes. with this final leg here. Uh, <clears throat> a spider, but a spider may not be able to survive long without any legs, but right. it can still survive. But ego cannot survive without vasanas. <laughs> Oh, okay. So and, as soon and, as it, and, and we, goes, we, it goes. we cannot get rid of all the vasanas <laughs> without getting rid of ego. So that is, we can reduce the strength of vasanas by our practice, but we can destroy all the vasanas only by destroying their root ego. Mm -hmm. That's why I use that analogy of the bush. Whereas in the case of a bush, so long as it's very dense, you can't even get to the root. So you have to, in order to get to the root, in order to cut the root, you first need to cut at least some of the branches, at least the lower branches. So we need to reduce the strength of the vasanas in order to be willing to turn within. But we can, but, but, but all the vasanas can be destroyed only by destroying ego. We can't surrender our will without surrendering ourselves. We can it. surrender our will to some extent, but not completely without surrendering ourselves. In self surrender. Self surrender, yes. That's why Bhagavan called it Atma Samapanam. Self surrender is paramount. Yep, yep. And in the culmination of surrender is self-surrender. Self we, st we start off by trying at least to surrender our will, but the, uh, the, the surrender culminates in surrender of ourself, this ego. Well, I don't know if you want to add anything else or we can put an end here to the conversation. Yep. Yes. Okay, so thank you very much again, uh, Michael, Jose, Ernesto. For having this conversation. Namor Ramanaya. Namor Ramanaya. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you.